0: Following in the footsteps of his predecessor, Pope Benedict XVI has been calling the church to a new evangelization. And part of that work involves a new catechesis, a new way of passing on the faith. Join us today as we discuss this new catechesis with our special guest, Bob Rice, professor of catechetics here at Franciscan University. I'm Michael Hernan, vice president of advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Franciscan University presents. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. Father Michael Scanlon TOR, the longtime host of this program, recently retired and asked me to take over his role as host. I was honored and humbled by his request and I'll do my best to live up to his expectations. Um, At the end of this program we have a short video message that Father Michael will share with us. Uh, But right now, let's dive into today's topic, uh, catechesis and Pope Benedict XVI. Uh, I'm here in our studios with our regular panelists, Dr. Regis Martin, uh, professor of systematic theology, and Dr. Scott Hahn, professor of biblical theology here at Franciscan University. Our special guest today is Bob Rice, professor of catechetics at Franciscan University. Uh, He holds a master's degree from Franciscan University. Mm -hmm. He is an author, an international speaker, uh, a popular blogger, and a gifted teacher. Uh, Bob, welcome to the program.
1: Hey, thanks, Mike. It's great to be here with you guys. Yeah, sure.
0: And and maybe if you could set the stage for our discussion today. uh, What is catechesis? Could you just define that for us?
1: Yeah, I mean, the simple definition actually goes to the the root of the word. It comes from the Greek word katechin, which literally means to echo down or to pass down. And you'll notice in the faith uh, there's a lot of forms of that word that's used within the church. You have catechesis, which is the art of passing, the act of passing on the faith. You have catechetics, which is what we do at Franciscan, is we train people to do catechesis. Uh, you have catechumens. They're the ones who receive uh, the catechesis. You have the catechism, which is the, uh, the summary of what we teach those. So all these cate words are a part of the life of the church and have been for a while. They're really out of Vatican II. Hmm. There's been a shift going from a pre-Vatican II understanding of passing on the faith, which was mostly intellectual and based on memorization, to more in the spirit of Vatican II, especially with John Paul II, and now followed up by Benedict XVI, uh, talking about, as John Paul II said, catechesis, the definitive aim of it, is intimacy with Jesus Christ. Mm. And that's really at the heart. It involves the intellect, but it's more than that. Uh, yeah. It's really bringing the, people to convert. Yeah, the,
2: the experience of, of catechesis, I, I think it's important to note, has a pedigree which antedates by a couple of thousand years, uh, the recent council. <laughs> I mean, from the first moment of the church's uh, existence when she became self-consciously aware of herself. There was this body of instruction, which she felt a solemn obligation to impart. It was binding, it was everlasting, and it was non-negotiable. And uh, that's what the church has historically passed on. This is her legacy, her patrimony. This is why she
3: exists. And you know, since Vatican II, we have this restoration of the catechumenate, precisely because it was called for by Vatican II. But between what happens in the New Testament and the early church, you know, where we find the word catechene being used several times in the New Testament in this echo effect, that what you hear you're going to echo, you're going to pass down faithfully in its integrity. But it's interesting to me that when you look back on the last century, you see you know, Pope Saint Pius X, who at the very dawn of the 20th century brought about a kind of restoration of catechesis by writing his own catechism, which was a shorter form of the catechism of the Council of Trent. And it was very similar, except that it emphasized the Bible and salvation history, and basically summarizes the whole of salvation history. By the 50s, you have another kind of uh, renewal in Europe, the Charismatic movement, mm-hmm. which sought to con- combine the kerygma, that is the gospel that you proclaim, with the catechesis so that doctrine and conversion could go together. Because as you mentioned, you know, up until Vatican II, most all of what we would call catechesis was simply done in the Catholic school system. Mm -hmm. You basically went K through 12, not even K, but I mean, you just had doctrine classes and it was part of the curriculum. So it was a scholastic approach that seemed to work well until the de-Christianization of the West really Mm -hmm. went forward or backwards, I should say. You know, and then when you hear Vatican II calling for the restoration of the catechumenate, you recognize that this is really sort of the culmination of several moments leading up to the 1960s and this grand time for the church. At the same time, we recognize that it was the Holy Spirit's timing because Mm -hmm. after Vatican II concludes in 1965, all hell broke loose, you know, in the West, in America. And so the church had to kind of be braced by our Lord for this, you know, people blame Vatican II, but you can't read the documents and say it's because of them. You really have to look at the culture and, you know, sort of the, the vulnerabilities within the members of the church. But I mean, what we have since Vatican II, especially with John, Paul, and Benedict, as you said, yeah. is a restoration and a renewal that is downright exciting.
1: And I think one of the unsung heroes of that whole movement is also Paul the Sixth you know, yes. coming out of Vatican II, you know, he wrote Credo of the People of God, oh, so yeah. he was working yeah. on coming up with uh, a proclamation of the deposit of faith, Evangelii Nuntiandi*, yeah. which set the tone for evangelization as the grace and vocation of the church, and really clarifying the church's role with that. Yeah. And then following that, you know, when John Paul II wrote the document, Catechesi Tridende, Catechesis in Our Time, it was a year after his pontificate, There had been synods and other work going on that Paul VI had begun. Uh, John Paul II immediately picked it up, and his first apostolic exhortation was on catechesis. And his focus was to talk about how catechesis is a movement, is a thrust within the overarching work of evangelization, not something separate that we evangelize them and then we catechize them, as much as in this work of evangelization that the church is engaged in, Catechesis is what draws them into intimacy with Jesus Christ. Right. Yeah.
2: yeah that's that's the key word. I, I I think we mustn't lose sight of of the main chance, mm. the overarching aim of catechesis and whatever form it may take over the course of time is the same: to put people in touch with Christ, a lively, yes. profound, intimate encounter with Christ. This was threatened, by the way. I just wanted to make a point that you know,
3: in the fifties, before Vatican II was convened there was a call for Christocentricity, that Christ needs to be mm-hmm. the center and the koregma needs to be the core. And whatever you're, whatever doctrine you're teaching, it always has to be kind of ordered to Jesus Christ and to the grace of ongoing conversion. Then the shift in the 60s after Vatican II concluded, you move from a Christocentric to an anthropocentric. Yes. And it becomes exceedingly experiential. Right. So that no more memorization, no more scripture in liturgy. It is just all about a person's experience. That's, I think, what Paul VI had already begun to counteract, mm-hmm. and then John Paul really overcame. Yeah, yeah. and, and that's, since
0: that's a key point, because I think when we see a, a change, though, right? I mean, there is a difference that happens. And what happened to kind of lead to yeah. the 1993 Catechism of the Catholic Church? What, what transpired to kind of call for that? Previously,
1: know? before the Catechism, every, um, every group of bishops made up their own catechisms. And as you looked at kind of the history of catechisms in the world, Some were good and some weren't. Um, You know, the Baltimore Catechism was an excellent catechism and probably one of the best catechisms that was written by a council of bishops. Then you go to the other extreme, the Dutch Catechism, you know, which isn't really even hitting on the divinity of Christ. And so the idea of the catechism was that it would give a norm, a sure norm of teaching. And obviously, uh, you know, Pope Benedict, when he was Cardinal Ratzinger, as well as Cardinal Schoenborn, were two of the main editors and and, uh, people really tasked with putting all that together underneath uh, lots of consultations yeah, uh, with bishops uh, and other experts. Yeah,
2: Cardinal Ratzinger, who, who was then the prefect, has uh, unstinting praise for a Cardinal Schoenborn. Mm-hmm. I mean, he speaks mm-hmm. of the dazzling genius this man deployed in synthesizing. He's really the human architect of, mm. of the new catechism. I mean, after the Holy Spirit, I think it's <laughs> Cardinal Schoenborn. Uh, Scott made a good point about what happened, this shift uh, from a uh, uh, Christ-centered catechesis to a man-centered, the turn to the subject, you know, anthropocentrism with with a vengeance. I mean, it's as if we were saying to Jesus, okay, enough about you, it's time to talk about me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so you enthrone yourself as the centerpiece. I mean, then you take leave of anything recognizably Catholic.
3: You know, there were precedents to justify, or at least to attempt to justify it, because you know, Maria Montessori was a devout Catholic who developed a curricular approach that was child centered. Mm. You know, and so to try to educate children in the faith in a way that was child centered was in a certain sense arguable. Yep. But it really shifts over to, you know, not just well, not content, but simple experience.
2: Yeah, process.
3: And, and
1: I and, yep. and I think that's the gift of the catechism. I think the church saw that happening yep. because yep. at the time previous to the catechism. Uh, you know, being a catechist in the 80s and early 90s, the the question is, what is the content? You know, is it the Baltimore Catechism? Is it this catechism? Right. You know, are you pulling from lots of different doctrines or documents or theologians? And people would have, well, I follow this line of thought. Well, I follow this line of thought. And until the catechism came out, and you know, when it came out, it it wasn't well received by, yeah. especially a lot of these people with a very strong anthropocentric anti-doctrine bias yeah. of passing on the faith. They felt it was like a hammer to the head. And it took a number of years, I think, for us in the American church to start embracing it as this is right. the norm. And thankfully, our bishops yeah. uh, also were very clear, like, everything has to go along right. what the catechism no, the decisive, is decisive,
3: The decisive moment came in 1985 yeah. at the extraordinary synod right. that was held in Rome. Okay. It was the 20th anniversary of the conclusion of Vatican II, and Vatican II was still up for grabs. A lot of people were sort of hijacking and laying claim to it and, you know, misrepresenting it at several levels. Mm. Uh, but that was the moment when John Paul, you know, and at the time, Cardinal Ratzinger, and this young fellow, you know, Schoenborn, uh, responded to Cardinal Law and a few other people who had, you know, explicitly said, what we need is a new catechism. And right. they latched onto that. Right. And, and they never let go. And they really, began, they, they assembled a team under the leadership of John Paul and Ratzinger, but as Regis said, right, really right, this, this young right. theologian who Ratzinger had helped form, right, as well as the right. Dominicans. Yeah, yeah. And he crafted something that is arguably the
2: greatest catechism, you know, in the history of the church. Yeah. You know, just to illumine something further about that flashpoint, 1985. I mean, the Cardinal Archbishop of Boston Bernard Law, he was the guy who said, you know, young people, they look alike, they listen to the same god-awful music, maybe they should, they should have the same catechism, it could be a unifying experience, you know, from Chicago to Chile, from Buffalo to Bosnia, why can't they all speak the same accent of, of Christ, and suddenly the idea took flight, let's get a catechism, let's somehow systematize what we believe so people can read it. Yeah, yeah. So what what is the purpose of the new Catechism of the Catholic Church?
0: That was in 93, That mm-hmm. it was fully prominent. W- what is that purpose? What do we do with that? What is, is it meant for just priests? Is it meant for just bishops, uh, theologians?
1: You know, it's interesting that you ask that question, Mike, because uh, I had the opportunity to, to spend some time with Cardinal Sean Bourne. He gave a, um, he gave a series of lectures on, on our Gomming campus that I was able to be a part of. And one thing he commented on, and this was actually only a few years after the Catechism came out, Uh, how surprised he was at how popular it had become. The original intention of the catechism was for bishops, it was for priests, and it was for catechists. And it was also for bishops' councils, it says this right in the preface of the catechism, that they could create their own catechisms. That as opposed to previously when every bishops' committee was making their own catechisms based on their own theology, this would be the norm. But what ended up happening is that many, uh, many bishops, councils and committees felt like this is so wonderfully written, why would we do that? Right. And really just embrace the catechism uh, throughout. The, the
3: USCCB did come out with, with a an catechism. an adult catechism, yeah. Yeah. right. You know, and, and it's good, yeah. but it pales in comparison. <laughs> yeah. you know? yeah. I don't yeah. mean to be critical sure. because it really is an effective tool but it, it's dwarfed by the catechism of the Catholic Church. And like the Roman catechism, the, the Council of Trent, it has four pillars, you know, and mm-hmm. as we, you go through them, you realize it isn't just a sequence. It isn't a fragmentary approach as you move from the creed through the sacraments, you know, the commandments to the Our Father. It's or, it's an organism. Yeah, There is such a living right. unity to yeah. the faith that this, catechism captures, especially from my perspective because it is quite simply the most scripturally saturated catechism you will find out there, not only in the history of the Catholic Church, but I mean put it up against Luther's smaller catechism (laughs) or any other
2: non-Catholic catechism and this thing is biblical to the heart of it. Yeah. And that, it, it, it's vital that we not lose sight of the continuity between the Roman catechism of yes. 1566 right. and the new catechism of the Catholic Church. And those four pillars, I think, are the unifying theme. Sorry, the right. creed, the code, the cult, and the celebration. That's
1: right. And when you look actually, you know, to, to answer your earlier question, what is the purpose of it? What's the heart of it? The catechism in number 25 actually uses a quote from the Roman Catechism, which says, the whole concern of doctrine and its teaching yeah. must be directed towards the love that never ends. Yeah, and that's the binding yeah. factor. This yeah. isn't an academic breakdown. And in fact, something that Cardinal Schornborn said um, when we were in Gomming that really, that really spoke to all of us was, he said, the Catechism of the Catholic Church is a blueprint for the heart of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Oh, that's that's, that's beautiful. how we saw that's it. It's, it's about the person and the relationship. Wow. And wow. that's what it's for.
0: I'd like to continue our conversation uh, in the next segment. Uh, let's let's go into the new evangelization and the catechism. Uh, you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us.
4: The catechism can seem really big and intimidating. Uh, it's a lot, It's kind of a big book, but it I really love the way it's laid out very systematically, very easy to navigate. Um, and it's filled with just such hopeful ideas and really good quotes. The thing about the Catechism is, yes, it's a composite of the, just a summary of all the teaching and the doctrine, but everything is rooted in Scripture. So when you open up the Catechism and start reading, you realize there is more Scripture in the Catechism than anything else. And so I do use it when I'm teaching, but I'm always bringing it back to the scripture that it's based in.
5: My name is Michael Villanueva. I'm majoring in philosophy and theology. Last semester I had sacraments with Dr. Hunt and I'll tell you right now, it was the best class of my entire life. Every class, I'm just knocked out of my chair. It hits me like a ton of bricks. The beauty of the truth that He's speaking to us. Something so simple but so beautiful and so profound and so powerful, Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic.
0: Today we're discussing catechesis with professor, author, and evangelist Bob Rice. Bob, um, Pope John Paul II uh, began talking about the new evangelization right around the same time as the call for the new catechism. Uh, Are these two connected, or are these just kind of divine coincidences?
1: No, they're absolutely connected. You know, the heart of the work of evangelization, you know, that thrust is that catechetical activity that brings people to Christ. The General Directory of Catechesis, which came out in 1998, uh, talked about three essential movements of evangelization, and they said it was a missionary discourse, that initial charismatic proclamation, you know, that would invite somebody in the faith, initial catechetical activity, and then pastoral activity. And so the church, in trying to help us understand evangelization, you know, in America, we, it's a very evangelical Protestant vocabulary, and, and praise God, we have a Christian vocabulary here in America. But we, uh, many times, when we hear evangelization as Americans, we think of what Protestants often refer to it as, which is usually just a moment a, a, a dramatic proclamation of the Gospel message. A conversion. Give your life to right, Jesus Christ, right, right. pray the prayer <clears throat> and, and that's an important pro- moment in the process a of A personal relationship
3: with Jesus Christ right. is the terminus, it's yes. the goal, right. Yes, yeah.
1: exactly. But um, that's why many Catholics when they hear we're evangelistic we go, I don't think we do that kind of thing. Well right, this is right. the bigger picture. That's
0: part of our definition. It is, it is part of
1: the definition, <laughs> yeah. that missionary discourse, but it has to be followed up with the catechesis. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost like that initial proclamation is the first date, and the catechesis is really getting to know, is to be That's put a in good touch
3: way to put it because you recognize then that when you move from the initial evangelizing, where they're hearing the good news perhaps for the first time and mm-hmm. making a decision because they're called to that when you move from that into catechizing, you don't stop evangelizing. Right. If anything, mm-hmm. the good news yeah. gets better you know, because John, you go yeah, deeper.
1: John Paul II even said that in Catechesi Tridende, He commented on how some people think that catechesis dries up anything that was good or exciting in the kerygma. Mm-hmm. And he said, if anything, it should be more, it should be deeper, it should be greater. Right. The catechism
3: greater. has a nice, you know, in fact, you quoted it, you know, the love that never ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's the purpose. And so it isn't just a person relationship. You know, that's like dating or courtship. Right. You know, when you move and when you study the early church, you can see that evangelizing is ordered to catechizing, but catechizing was ordered to sacramentalizing. Yes. And the marital relationship is a model that is used in the catechism for explaining how you fall in love and you end up moving into a deeper commitment, a love that never ends. It's like courtship moving into engagement and then finally marital communion. And when you move from evangelizing and catechizing into sacramentalizing, the experience of the good news gets even richer still yeah. Yeah, as you're baptized, yeah, yeah. confirmed, Holy Eucharist, and so on. And I think that organic model is precisely what we mean by the new evangelization mm-hmm. and why the, catech- the, the catechism is at the center of it all. It's right. really a hinge that enables you to pass yeah. from that person relationship because let's face it, engagement, you know, in some ways is the worst of both worlds. Yeah. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah. But it then enables you to really enter into that sacramental mystery that is not something man-made, but God-given.
0: And it's going so much deeper, really into that. And and I think the the Holy Father talked about it as the catechism is revealing the the deeper beauty of the mystery of God. You know, it's just that unfolding,
2: um, really, of... of You know, it's a little disconcerting uh, to remind ourselves that Jesus was not really a catechist. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And there's a sense in which he didn't evangelize either. He simply presented himself. He proposed himself. I mean, the conventional wisdom would have him brandishing a code of ethics in one hand and a body of doctrine in the other. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't write a book. He doesn't organize a system. He simply presents himself. He invites people uh, to encounter this event of Christ.
1: And, And he presents himself in the light of the Father's love and the Father's teaching. Even so humbly, though he was the second person, you know, made flesh, would say, this teaching is not my own, yeah. it's, it's the Father's who right. sent me. Right. And John Paul II uses that as a model for all catechists. If yeah. Jesus himself yeah. is saying that he's not the owner of this teaching, right. yeah. then we as catechists also have that, have to have that humility to share and witness yeah. Christ I, in words and deeds. Right, I'm, I'm always struck
2: by a, a, a line from St. John of the Cross. Mm. Uh, he says that the Father had only one word to speak. Mm-hmm. And when he spoke that word, he didn't have anything else to say. That mm-hmm. word is is the Son, the Son made flesh, who mm-hmm. exhausts all the possibilities of, of the Godhead. Once he speaks that word, mm-hmm. uh, we can spend all of eternity unpacking it. Uh, we catechize about it. We, we construct all sorts of uh, structures and props uh, to try to facilitate the communication of the Word. But in the last analysis, it is the Word revealing Himself, this definitive Word, which is deed, which is an act, a
3: performance. Let me throw in a little counterpoint here, uh, friendly dissent, because at one level, I think you're right, you know, Jesus is not a catechist or, or an evangelist, and yet at a deeper level, He's not only the right. primordial evangelist, he is the evangel, you know. Yes. And at the same time, he can turn around before his departure, his ascension, and say, teach them everything I've right. commanded you. Yeah. And so he's also the the, the primordial catechist. He, yeah. he has evangelized them, and he has catechized them, and he is about to anoint them with the Holy Spirit of Pentecost. And so, you know, this is why you know, when, when, when you look at what evangelizing really entails, I think it means, follow me. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of ways you can say it, but at the, in the beginning to Peter, it was, follow me. You know, and then after asking three times, Simon, do you love me? He said, follow me, you know. Yeah,
6: yeah. Uh,
1: and, and we see that invitation, uh, not just to Peter, but to all the apostles right. in the Great Commission, you know, when he said, yeah. go make disciples of all nations. I mean, he wanted three things to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach what? A little bit? Everything that I've commanded you right. to do. Right. And that makes up that work, and it ties us back into the sacramentality. Um, you know, Paul VI in Evangelii Nuntiandi said in some ways it's a mistake to contrast evangelization with sacramentalization,
6: because
1: hmm. they need to flow with each other. Right. And in the Second Vatican Council, Uh, you know, again, this is part of the impetus of the new evangelization, looking at a catechumenal model, the RCIA, not just as a time of instruction, but a time of prayer, a time of, you know, initial evangelization and deepening in the faith and praying about it, you know, in a retreat setting, that time of purification and enlightenment that fully leads to the sacramental celebration, which is really the heart of where everything needs to go in regards of it. So catechesis is a major part of that, but even catechists need to be mindful of the overarching where are you in the process and and what is the goal? It's intimacy with Jesus Christ, the best way we can be intimate with Christ in this life, sacramental. And Paul
3: VI also emphasized how the church not only has its identity and mission in evangelizing, but always is evangelizing in the mass. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like, I've often seen that quotation with an ellipsis where you have dot dot dot, but the rest of the statement is the church is doing this in every time in every mass. and yeah, yes. you know the Paschal mystery is what we experience in the mass. and you know John Paul picked up on this in 92 when the new evangelization was really getting underway. he gave a famous talk where he said, base the new evangelization on the Eucharist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think the natural tendency for Catholics would be like, oh wow, I mean, if it isn't already complicated enough, (laughs) and yet Jesus instituting the Eucharist on Holy Thursday, I discovered when I was still a Protestant, was really the key that unlocked the mystery of Calvary, because we think of Calvary as a sacrifice, but nobody there on Good Friday would have gone home and said, I witnessed a sacrifice. It was an execution. The only way the Roman execution became a sacrifice was by backing up and looking at what Jesus did when he instituted the Eucharist. This is my body, which will be given. Those aren't just words, those are deeds. Mm. And so the Eucharist is fused to Calvary as one and the same sacrifice. And so the only, you know, the only message of the Gospel is the Paschal Mystery, but the Mm. only access point is the Eucharist that transforms the execution into the consummation of the sacrifice. He's not losing his life, he's, he's giving it, and then Easter Sunday makes that sacrifice a sacrament that
2: is now communicable, that we can all share. And that's the Paschal mystery. I think Yeah, another way of putting that is to say everything reduces to the person of Christ. He's the centerpiece. We we don't simply proclaim the Word. We confect the sacrament, which is His body, blood, soul, and divinity. I mean, Jesus did not organize a, a church around a book but around himself, his body, and that body is, is prolonged uh, in the church, which is his bride. He's wedded uh, to that bride, that body, and it's, it's indissoluble, irrevocable. And, and this is whom we receive in Eucharist. So even if you're a lousy homilist, uh, nevertheless, you've been ordained, and you can confect the Eucharist, and you count. Uh, that's important. That's why we need you.
1: And from the early church, we do see uh, a kind of structure as Christ passed down to the apostles. Uh, for catechists, uh, a very uh, personal verse, a very important verse is Acts 2.42, when after the initial Pentecost speech, um, it, it says that the, uh, the, the, they were gathered around the teaching of the apostles, the breaking of the bread, the fellowship, and the prayers, yeah. and we see that as kind of a primordial movements into the four pillars yeah. of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, that after accepting the gospel, being filled with the Holy Spirit, now the way we start living this communal life and are formed, the early church was formed by these pillars, these understandings, yeah. Yeah. so they could oh, well, go out and evangelize.
3: We were, we're, were discussing the relationship between evangelizing and catechizing, and yeah. the new evangelization and the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I remember not only having you as a colleague for several <laughs> years, but as a, as a student, and your experience, because you experience this in a way that embodies the unity between the, catechi- the catechism. You know, relate that if you yeah,
1: will. Yeah, you know, when I was younger, um, I was a college student in Florida. You're
2: already younger,
3: Bob. Thank you. <laughs> like,
1: How could you
2: get any younger?
1: <laughs> Before I had a beard, uh-huh, I guess, yeah. you know. Uh, I, was, I was a college student in Florida. I'd grown up Catholic, my mom was Catholic, my dad Episcopalian, uh, coming out of Chicago, worked with a lot of evangelical Protestant groups, I was happy to be Catholic, but didn't really know a lot what that meant. Mm. And I remember I was watching on the news, the catechism was coming out, I was seeing that on CNN, it was before there was Fox, I guess. And uh, it was saying about this catechism's coming out, it's everything the church teaches. So I remember the day it came out, it was a Tuesday, and I, I ran to the bookstore. And I, and I slept in a little bit, and I was very upset, thinking they were all going to be sold out. <laughs> and I went to the bookstore, where I usually yeah. get all my, my Christian books, and, and I said, do you have a catechism of the Catholic Church? And the woman behind the counter looked at me, and she said, we don't sell that book here. I should maybe tell you, it was Long's Baptist Bible Bookstore. That was <laughs> where I was used to getting all my, my Christian materials. Uh, really? So I said, well, where, where can I get it? And she said, you should try a Catholic bookstore. And I said... There are Catholic bookstores. This is amazing. So uh, I found one. I read it from cover to cover, and it was it was a profound experience for me. You know, it was probably one of the most powerful, deeper conversion moments. I had known Christ. I'd been attending liturgies all my life. You know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't the case that even though I was dealing with a lot of evangelical Protestants, they were very respectful of my Catholic faith. I never I never actually really wanted to go to their services. I I loved the liturgy. I didn't know why. Uh, I loved being Catholic. I wasn't quite sure how I could articulate it. But reading the Catechism, praying through the Mm -hmm. Catechism, especially praying the rosary, was just I mean, it's why I'm here today. That and changed you. That Literally, catechism. I mean, it's exactly. why he came here to it, study. It, yeah. yeah, I mean, I like remember. six months later, I'm here in Steubenville right. looking But looking well, we're so study. glad for that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, and, and do you see the,
0: the, the tie of these uh, new evangelization and, and the kind of the new catechism um, really offering a new fruit? Uh, or, or new, 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 new movement of the Spirit? What, what are some of the fruits that we see of the two of these really working uh, in the church
1: today? You know? Well, I think what's the heart of what we need to keep focusing on, which is, I think, what we're seeing the new evangelization focus on, you know, the catechism is an amazing and wonderful tool and a gift, um, but it has to be put in the hands of somebody who knows how to use it. Hmm. It's not the case that, unfortunately, as the catechism came out, some people said, well, we'll just swap textbooks out. It's, it's not meant to be a textbook. Mm. It's meant to really empower the catechist who it's needs to give a tool. witness of right. living yeah. faith yeah. in this overarching work of evangelization. It's something we really focus our students uh, here at Franciscan, you know, and one of the reasons why I left the field of youth ministry, which I loved doing, to come here to teach because the idea of forming catechists really has to be at the heart. I mean, now we don't have any excuse now not to. We, we know what the truth is. We have a good norm of yeah. teaching in the catechism. We have good marching orders, and Benedict is going to continue to clarify what it means to evangelize and how we can do that in a postmodern culture. Uh, but we need people formed with an understanding that it's not just academic. Uh, as Paul VI said, modern man listens more willingly to witnesses than to teachers, and to teachers only if they're witnesses. It's the model of Christ, words and deeds. It has to be both and we have to have people willing to live that out in the new yeah. evangelization and share with them yeah.
2: uh, Pope Benedict I, I think once said that what we need is the witness of sanctity but also the witness of, of beauty mm. and in the person of Christ the two come together I mean remember when when Jesus confronted these people or when they first stumbled upon him he, he didn't have a memo or a book or 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 a a, a a telegram or a blueprint he said he didn't say look read this come back in a week or two and we can discuss my ideas he didn't have any ideas. He simply had himself. He proposed himself, and there was something so arresting, so exceptional uh, about him, so compelling that they wanted to spend the whole day with him. Where do you live? I mean, yeah. that that has to happen, that moment of contagion. It has to become infectious. You've gotta be drawn into the mystery. This is really interesting. It beats anything on TV. That's right, that's exactly right. And in our next segment, I'd like to look at some uh, practical
0: tips for passing on the faith. Uh, you're watching Francisco University Presents. Stay with us.
5: I'm doing EDGE Youth Ministry here in uh, Steubenville, uh, working with 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, and I think the one most important thing that it's doing for these teens is it's giving them a reason to live. Um, It's giving them purpose for their lives um, because we're introducing them to the person of Jesus Christ, and everyone is looking for a relationship right now. Everyone's always hungry for that relationship, and we give that to them through Jesus and giving him like that relationship with him in prayer.
4: Pope Paul VI states that modern man listens more willingly to witnesses than to teachers and if he does listen to teachers it is because they are witnesses. Many people if they even know what catechesis is perceive it as a mere teaching of doctrine or a fancy word for religious education but Paul VI reminds us that at the center of catechesis is the person of Jesus Christ and the whole goal is to bring people into union and intimacy with him.
5: My name is Michael Villanueva. I'm majoring in philosophy and theology. Last semester I had sacraments with Dr. Hahn. and uh, I'll tell you right now, it was the best class of my entire life. A- every class, I'm just knocked out of my chair. It hits me like a ton of bricks. the beauty of the truth that he's speaking to us. Something so simple but so beautiful and so profound and so powerful, Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic.
0: I'm glad you joined us for Franciscan University Presents. This entire program is taped right here in the Communication Arts Studio at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. Um, We have students who are operating the cameras and the equipment. Uh, Regis and Scott are members of our theology faculty and uh, even our guest today is a member of our theology faculty. Uh, We're uh, discussing today catechesis with um, professor and author and evangelist Bob Rice. Uh, Bob, let's go right down to some brass tacks. Let's make some practical tips uh, for our folks here. Uh, What is maybe the first step someone can do in becoming a more effective evangelist, Uh, someone who passes on the faith in their home, in their workplace, in their community?
1: You know, it's an obvious statement, but one that needs to be said. You have to be living a holy life. Uh, you know, St. Peter in his first letter said, always be ready to give reason for the hope that you have. But there's an assumption there that somebody would ask. Mm. I think many times evangelists feel like they need to go out and they need to ask the questions or they need to challenge people. But the reality is we need to go out and live a life that, with the peace that the world cannot give, a joy that the world does not have, we need to encounter the culture, you know, which is so cynical and despairing with optimism and, and the hope of Christ, not the hope of the world, but the hope of Christ, and in doing so, make somebody say, what's different about you? Yeah, how yeah, how cool. do you have that in your By life? By your own witness. We need, yeah. to, uh, we need to bring about a curiosity mm. into this yeah. culture, that yeah. we stand apart. We're within the culture, but we stand apart enough that somebody says, now, why are you that way? How can you be that way? And then we're ready with the reason yeah. for so the hope that we have, have to, which is almost Jesus to just, Christ. We have
0: to just yeah. make ourselves in such a way so curious. Right. That, I mean, well, the, we?
1: the first
2: Bible that most people will read is you, uh, yeah. what, what you uh, emit and project. And if you're trying to demonstrate that there's some deep, Correspondence between what you need and what God offers, but you don't apparently need it. Right. Uh, then you're not going to be all that persuasive. <laughs> exactly. You're gonna Standing be selling apart cars is right, but staying connected
3: is just as important. Yes. So that you're different, and yet at the same time you're the same. You're a coworker. So through friendship, through mm-hmm. you know, at the water cooler with the coffee break, you know you're engaging people in terms of where they're coming from. And I would say, you know, take advantage of crisis moments, you know, illness, death, you know, marriage, birth. Whenever something significant happens, they're sort of opening up to the deeper truths they need to kind of live the next chapter of my life, you know. At the same time, you know, in the ordinary time of everyday experience, too, have something that you're reading out on the desk. You know, don't just say, here, read this but let them experience the fact that you've really enjoyed this because when you see a movie and recommend it, you're not considered weird mm-hmm. when you've read a great book and you say, hey, you ought to take a look at this. And and so moving from the natural to the supernatural ought to be a natural move, you yeah, know? Exactly. And just to share the faith as you're experiencing it, knowing that however holy you are or aren't, you know, <laughs> the fact is Christ is gonna pick up and take up, you know, he's gonna make up for what you lack and the Holy yeah. Spirit too. And so I, I just think that, the more eager we are to share, the more natural the opportunities will arise. You know?
1: Yeah, we're in the world, not of the world, and we're proclaiming Christ in the world just by our life and actions. And that is the first step, but there has to be another one. So I teach a course in evangelization and there's a uh, something often attributed to our patron saint here at Franciscan University, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. Yeah. And that's a wonderful emphasis on how important our life has to preach the gospel. Yeah. But sometimes I find students use that as an excuse. Yeah. And they say, well, I don't have to preach the words. I just live the gospel out. And no, 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 that's uh, not right. that—that's not the way it works. That's not the way the church works. If you were Francis of Assisi, <laughs> yes, exactly.
3: if you're Francis of
2: Assisi, that <laughs> right. might
1: yes, work. Yes, yeah, you, yeah. you have the stigmata, if you're living yeah. in
2: poverty, if you're that, that's the almost the world, That's almost as irritating okay. as when students put on their blue books, uh, God's greatest <laughs> attribute is mercy. Yeah. And I believe I, there's a professor who asks for that though. Right. <laughs> he will
1: go unnamed.
0: <laughs> yeah. (laughs) I mean, I invariably
2: tell them, let God dispense the mercy. I'm here to give you justice, (laughs) and this isn't good enough.
1: I know another faculty member that when they put that down says, and the greatest attribute of a student is studying, (laughs) Uh, you know, to do that. But it is, that's the beginning, but now we have to be articulate. We have to have reason for the hope that we have. And so it's not just living the faith and living it as a personal experience of, I'm happy within myself and I don't need to share it. If somebody sees it, that's great but really being cognizant of, okay, can I articulate my faith? Can I, can I share the faith? Is it something that's reasonable? You know, that it makes sense, you know, that, that it, and as I think is the second step, it's that witness and proclamation, which are such major movements yes. of the work of evangelization. And that proclamation not only leads uh, out of the kerygma, but also just into basic, yeah. the catechetical understanding of who Jesus Christ is.
3: Something else too that stands out in my mind when I hear new evangelization and I, link it to catechizing and that is the new evangelization from the very beginning has not only been to reach out to the unbaptized mm-hmm. the 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 missio ad gentes the the mission to the nations it's also quite explicitly evangelizing the baptized yes you know so that we we recognize that initial conversion for us in the catholic tradition is three stages you know to to respond to evangelizing and then the catechizing the sacramentalizing But in the sacramental life, we distinguish three stages, the purgative, the illuminative, and the unitive, just to remind us that conversion never ends. And the love that never ends is a call that requires us to to be evangelizing, but to be evangelized first and foremost. So I I think we also have to see this as taking place within the home, Mm -hmm. uh, through prayer, through uh, everyday experience that we share, you know, in the home, on vacations, uh, for baptisms, and this sort of thing. Uh, but, but tuning into the fact that we are evangelizing those who are baptized because a lot of them have been de-Christianized all around us, you yes. know? Mm. And I think this is a distinctive emphasis that really calls for practical insights.
0: And I, I, I love the um, uh, part of Franciscan's mission, the ongoing conversion, that, that, just that own sense that us personally, as well as others, we're to be going through this, this kind of ongoing process where it is made new, and I think that's what I always hear with, with new evangelization. Uh, that it, it's making the the ancient uh wisdom of God the mystery of God a new and fresh uh, for I mean, us today.
2: Yeah. I mean the uh the effort uh, to be good, uh, to live a life of faith and uh, unity with, with Jesus is always a challenge. It doesn't matter the state of the culture, it's always going to be difficult. Uh, it's an uphill struggle because you're following a guy who says, look, follow me, I'll give you heaven uh, and 100 fold besides, and he ends up on a cross slowly, painfully tortured to death. I mean, that's not exactly uh, compelling, uh, at least not on the face of it. So you have to awaken some curiosity about what does this mean? Yes. How can this give me joy? How can this really intensify the relationships I already have?
1: And I think that curiosity starts from within. You know, John Paul II wrote about people in danger of living mediocre spiritual lives, you know, and being Christians at risk. And you know, as an evangelist, you're actually trying to step up your game a bit because it's not just you're satisfied with your own faith, but you realize there's a desperate need to know who Christ is, and and that really starts with you. So as we talk about what are some practical things, I think the first is just the Gospels, the Gospels, the Gospels, that Mm -hmm. an evangelist and a catechist would really spend time praying over the Gospels. You know, if, if the definitive aim of catechesis is intimacy with Jesus Christ, as John Paul II said, and if, as Dave Verbum tells us, that the Gospels are preeminent in all of Scripture and the principal source of the teaching and life of Jesus Christ, then the answer is, it's the Gospels that we need to be saturated with, all our liturgies. We don't have a liturgy without a Gospel. You right. know, it's, it's really at the heart. And I think for Catholics to focus on that person of Christ, and to read about Him and to pray through it and to walk His path through the Gospels and imply and, and it in their own life from the joyful moments of the miraculous catch of fish to the denials to the crucifixion to the resurrection, mm. that we would be saturated in that first so that the evangelist isn't sharing a topic or a club mm. or an ideology but they're sharing a person.
3: Right, you know, the, the evangelists, the four gospels are evangelizing.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, from the very opening of Mark's gospel where you have the the quotation from Isaiah 40, you know, the, the, uh, proclaiming the glad tidings in the Greek is literally the root where we get the word evangelize. Mm-hmm. And so John the Baptist, and Jesus, and then Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I'm teaching a course this semester on the theology of the new evangelization, and I had them begin by reading the evangelists. Yeah, yeah. And to remind them that it's not just evangelizing that the evangelists are doing, it's also a kind of sacramental catechesis. Yes. Uh, A friend of mine who is a Lutheran, David Scare, has a commentary on Matthew where he argues that this is really sacramental catechesis in the early church. Mm -hmm. That's the best way to really enter into what makes Matthew kind of hold together the way it does, you know. And I think anybody, you know, in the Catholic tradition or even standing close by outside of it can look at the Gospels and say, this is what we ought to be doing, you know. And when you look at the structure of the Gospels, one cynical scholar once quipped, they're like passion narratives with a long introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's such a disproportionate emphasis upon Jesus getting, you know, instituting the Eucharist, getting arrested, tried, executed, then rising from the dead. And everything else kind of builds up to that. And that's the gospel. That's the Paschal mystery life, death, and resurrection. And so, immersing ourselves in
2: the evangelists will make us more effective evangelizers. But what, what do you do with people who say, you know, I, I know that this is gospel good news, but I don't find it very good. It, it doesn't liberate me. I find it boring. Yeah. Uh, you know, Francois Mauriac said that when you go to mass, nothing is more dismaying than to see the look, the jaded look from the congregation when Father uh, is sort of bloviating from, uh, from the pulpit. It, it's dull stuff. Yeah. So, what what do you do? How do you how do you galvanize uh, these people? What do you say to
1: them? Yeah, I mean, some of it has to be in the witness of your own life. That their experience of the gospel isn't just a proclamation, yeah. uh, but it can be a lived experience of really encountering somebody who loves you for who you are and talks to you where you're at, and and then it, and then maybe you know to counteract some of those more boring proclamations that we would proclaim the gospel with the kind of enthusiasm that we see in the book of Acts. Uh, You know, many times, sadly, the good news is kind of proclaimed as the okay news, you know, and and many times you just see it's not enthusiastic. There's no. There's not that exousia, that boldness, yeah. you know, that you see the early church was really driven by. Nobody was ever bored hearing the gospel message in, in the early church, yeah. and so we need to model that, you know, as we go forward with it, talking about who Christ is, yeah. sharing how he's changed Uh, changed our lives. I mean, you're right, there are many ways in which the faith can be proclaimed in a very dull, boring way. I remember working with Young Life, they had a great phrase. They said, it's a a sin sin to bore bore a kid kid with with the the gospel. gospel. Yes. And it's the most exciting story ever told. Jesus is the most dynamic, amazing, incredible person who ever walked the face of the earth. More books have been written, songs have been sung.
3: And yet, and yet, and yet, you know, Mariak's Uh, point, here's a man who carried the cross for us and then turned around and had the gall to say, you've got a cross that you've got to carry as well. It isn't a substitution, it's a participatory mystery, you know, so the joy and the love, well, you know, at the end of the day, we have a cross to carry. And so you recognize, okay, it isn't just simply how much Jesus suffered that saves us. As Aquinas said, it's how much he loved. It's the love that transforms the suffering into a holy sacrifice. And it's also a love that transforms the suffering into a sacrifice that would lead the New Testament writers to say, count it all joy when you have to endure suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ.
1: And there's a pedagogy there which is really key, especially as we look at the Gospels, you know, because, you know, we look at scripture not only for what he teaches us, but how he teaches us. And that's something that's very important as an evangelist, as a catechist. Jesus didn't meet Peter and say, take up your cross and follow me his first experiences with Peter was of a life to the full, was an amazing right. experience, and as he walked with him and as Peter fell more deeply in love, yeah. Jesus could more reveal his heart and right. who he was. Yeah. So that first follow me, which is of excitement and joy and on the knees, and wow, look at this catch, and the second follow me, which is you're gonna die, Right. follow me, right. we see that transition. And
0: I think that wouldn't have happened uh, if not for the Holy Spirit. You know, and I think that's we, we've kind of touched on that before, but I think many people don't feel like they can share the gospel. They don't know enough. They don't feel like they're at a, a good place. But if we realize the agent of evangelization yes. is the Holy Spirit, yeah. it's really his job. It's the Holy Spirit, the, the, the third person of the Trinity that, that, that is really the agent of evangelism. So we don't have to be shy. Yeah. We have to be bold. And that joy, I think, comes from a life right. on the Spirit. I mean, how, how can we uh, tap into that? Um, this is an exciting topic for us today. Um, in our final segment today, uh, we'll be hearing a special message from Father Michael Scanlon. You won't want it, to miss it. Uh, stay with us on Francis University Presents.
5: In catechesis, we've realized that we have to start forming relationships with, with the, those that we're catechizing. Um, it's not just a classroom setting where we have to just get them through and grade them. But We want to help bring them to a closer relationship with Christ, so it's forming relationships. Um, for example, in my life, um, I'm on, on a core team for a youth group, um, and I've developed these relationships with these students where you know, I can call them and encourage them to, to come to youth group, or when I see them in, in, out and about, I can and talk to them, and just they know that I care about them for who they are, not just for the sake of, oh, we want you to, to encounter Christ, but I care for you as a, as a person. One of my favorite quotes from St. Irenaeus is, the glory of God is man fully alive. And this is important to me because when I understand catechesis, I want to approach not only the teachings of our faith, but the people. I want to show individuals their dignity and their worth in the eyes of Christ. And really the, the point of it is that To walk with Christ is to be like Christ.
4: My name is Kelly Butler and I'm a Communication Arts major. I took independent digital filmmaking. Definitely intense. Many all-nighters in the editing lab getting things done. Pope John Paul II has a quote, Do not be afraid to go out into the streets and into public places to preach Christ like the first apostles. That's what we're called to as Catholics and as Christians. You have that responsibility that every work you create should reflect Christ. Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic.
0: Explore the treasures of your Catholic heritage on a Franciscan University pilgrimage. Led by inspiring spiritual directors, you'll walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs in the Holy Land, Poland, France, and Italy. And you'll deepen your love for Jesus Christ through daily Mass, confession, prayer, and the joy of Christian fellowship. Let Franciscan University lead you on a pilgrimage of faith. Find out more at franciscan.edu slash pilgrimages. Thank you for joining us for the final segment of Franciscan University Presents. Uh, Bob, thanks for joining us. Thanks for sharing your passion for catechesis and the new evangelization and Pope Benedict XVI. Um, for those of you interested in a little bit more on today's topic on catechesis, there's a great article uh, from uh, Bob Rice on the, the new Pentecost for catechesis uh, from The Sower Magazine. This is available free uh, for you if you go online at faithandreason.com or by calling us. It's a great, a great handout for us. Um, as I mentioned at the, uh, the start of the show, uh, Father Michael Scanlon has retired as host, and he has a short video message that he'd like to share with us right now.
6: And so now we move into a time of transition as I fade and Michael Hernan, a real professional, good friend, takes over as hosting this show with Regis and Scott, who've been such a delight over the years. And I remember with with the same kind of delight how I was a guest on Mother Angelica's show on a number of occasions, and then they said to me one time, You're so relaxed, and you work out so well as a guest, even without any advance notice. So why don't you have your own show? And that way we launched uh, Franciscan University Presents. And we were able to do it with delight because our students were already communications majors there. And uh, they worked all the equipment and filled the room, and they were a great audience. Whenever I was talking, they were responding, so it was like I was in a live studio. And I thoroughly enjoyed doing the show. As a matter of fact, it was the easiest thing I did as president of the university. I'd look forward to the show as something that was relaxing and stimulating. And at the same time, I always had in mind the viewer, the viewer who was live on the other end of this camera, who was watching. And I wanted to talk to you in the real personal way that would bring to you what was deep into my heart and mind, why we had this particular guest and this particular issue that we thought was right to present so that you could be enriched and entertained. The two things go together. You can learn and enjoy at the same time. And that's a lot of what happens at Franciscan University, where there's a great deal of joy and peace, but a lot of learning happening right at the heart of who we are. So this is my blessing to you as we go into this time of transition that indeed God continue to enlighten and lead you. And may the Lord bless you and keep you, show His face to you and have mercy on you, turn His countenance to you and give you His peace. May the Lord bless you, He His Father, Son and Holy Spirit, keep going with God. God will not fail you, you will be happy for the time and the effort that you put in, in seeking his truth, loving him, and worshiping. God bless you.
0: Thank you, Father Michael, for those inspiring words and your encouragement. Um, thank you for many years of service as host of this program and for the many years of service you've given to Franciscan University. Um, Scott and Regis, uh, you've worked with Father Mike on the show for, for many, many years and many hours
2: here in the studio. Maybe you could share some thoughts on uh, in his retirement. Yeah, well, uh, it's been an immense uh, privilege and pleasure to uh, work with Father Michael, whom I don't think will ever retire. (laughs) He's just moving on to a new phase, which I think was vividly apparent uh, uh, in that uh, latest apparition. (laughs) Uh, I I have a a number of uh, impressions, one which the viewers never see, and that is before uh, we launch out into a new show, when he prays. With us, I have always found that deeply uh, consoling and, and fortifying, and it reveals uh, the man, he's a priest, he's a Franciscan, he's a father. Uh, the other impression I have is at the very end, when Father Michael would come preternaturally to life, mm. uh, and there would be a warmth uh, and a galvanic presence, I, I think that was deeply inspiring uh, for for the viewer. Uh, and then in between, uh, he was good humored. Uh, he was long suffering, uh, and he had great forbearance in permitting Scott and myself to talk forever. <laughs> and uh, that was a testimony, I, I, I think, to his his patience and and his good humor. And we're going to miss him. But I must say, you did remarkably well. <laughs> uh, you've got this marvelous telegenic presence. Uh, so we're happy to have you.
0: That's
5: great. That was great.
3: Two things stand out, and uh, just watching him reminds me of both. Uh, on the one hand, friendship. Uh, he was the one who hired me, but he was never a boss to me. Mm. He's always been a friend, and that continues. And I just enjoy and cherish that friendship uh, and that counsel that he's given me as an older brother. But perhaps even more, it's the spiritual fatherhood. Mm. You know, he has had many titles: dean, president, chancellor, etc. But as everybody who knows him well knows that what he loves the most is being called father because that's what he is. Mm. That's what he does. And uh, he's baptized our three last, you know, the three youngest kids, but more than just being an agent of a sacrament, he really has been a spiritual father to my whole family for which I am eternally grateful.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, father Mike, thank you. Um, You have done so much uh, for this program for so many uh, people, particularly here at Franciscan University. This whole program comes from that mission. So I want to invite our viewers to come and be a part of our mission, whether it be taking classes, coming to conferences, uh, joining us on a pilgrimage. Uh, Make sure you you, you stay connected with us through uh, now and the next time that we get together uh, on Franciscan University Presents. Uh, Make sure to visit us on on faithandreason.com, a new website with some great materials. Until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you. To receive a free handout on today's topic or to purchase a video of this show, call 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381 or call 740-283-6357. Email your request to presents at franciscan.edu or write to Franciscan University Presents, Franciscan University of Steubenville, 1235 University Boulevard, Steubenville, Ohio, 43952.